Good morning, everyone. I am super excited about our passage this morning, but before we go there together, I want to take a little bit of time just to express some gratitude on behalf of the elders for your prayer and attention to the time that we took last week just to step away and prayerfully consider some things uh, happening in the life of our church, just seeking to be faithful to the Lord. One of the blessings that we have in doing so is knowing that when we are gone, everything is good here, that you are in good hands. Thank you, Brian, for stepping in and serving in the pulpit, for Chris, uh, for leading worship. I mean, we don't skip a beat. What a blessing to be a part of a church family that is filled with people who have a heart for ministry. So very, very grateful. In the weeks and months to come, I hope just to share things over time that uh, God spoke to us and during our time. But I want you to know that a lot of what we walked through together was based on things that we heard from you. We had great input from staff, from ministry leaders, and I want to affirm with you again that you are always welcome to share your thoughts and insights, things that are on your heart that you want us to be in prayerful consideration of. We welcome that input and can assure you that we spend time prayerfully considering each of those things. Now, that being said, we also realize that we're not going to be able to please everyone all the time. Um, I've been in leadership in several different capacities. I know John Maxwell's written a book, talked about uh, irrefutable laws of leadership. Well, I have one of my own, and it is that as a leader, you cannot avoid disappointing some of the people most of the time. That's according to Todd. But that's incredibly hard for somebody who's a people pleaser like me. I want to please all the people all the time. But in leadership, we realize that's just not possible. But I do want to assure you that we do take, give thoughtful, prayerful consideration to each of the things that you share with us, things that are on your heart. And our priority is really simple. And I think that's maybe a blessing in the life of our church world today. We kind of operate along the lines of uh, a simple church philosophy. We're big on people, not real big on programs. We really don't get caught up in some of the ministry fads and the latest church trends. And I can assure you, we're confronted with those. I get an email every single week, not every few weeks, not every few months, every single week with a new way to do missions a new strategy to build community, a new ministry that promises to change people's lives. So there's no shortage of ideas out there, but here's where I find my comfort as your pastor. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 teaches us that God places the members in the body just as he desires. That he uniquely gifts each of those members in a special way, giving them a manifestation of the Spirit For the common good. What that tells me, I'm greatly encouraged by this. That our little church family here on the corner of 66th and Indiana is handcrafted by God. With just the right people, with just the right gifts to carry out his specific purpose for our local body. Which means that we're not going to do everything that needs to be done, but we will do everything we need to do according to what He has put on our heart. We will go in the direction that He intends to lead us. And I can assure you on behalf of the elders, when we spend time together, that's what we're praying about. That we would be faithful to that. 
we're convinced that God wants us to make disciples, <laughs> to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And we know there's a lot of ways that you can do that, but we're just trying to trust the Lord and follow the Lord and how he's called us to do that here at Millie Park. So we've been visiting, we being Brian and Bruce and I recently, trying to kind of articulate this in a way that might be helpful to give you a big picture view of what that looks like at Millie Park. And I think Brian came up with this idea. Is there a slide uh, that talks about discipleship highway? Perfect. So this is kind of a, an illustration of what this looks like at Millie Park Church. So if you think about it in terms of a highway, you know that to enter onto a highway, you have to have an on-ramp, right? And so the on-ramp into discipleship at Melanie Park Church is what happens right now, Sunday morning worship. You enter into the life of the church through our corporate service together where we come as a body of believers to worship and praise the Lord together. We consider it the on-ramp and not exactly the road to discipleship because we believe that discipleship depends on relationship. And it's just hard to really get to know people on a Sunday morning large group setting. Um, we don't know each other's stories that well. We are kind and hopefully greet each other well, but discipleship occurs once you move into the life of this body. The slow lane, we'll call it, that's where we enter in easiest onto this discipleship highway is what happens on Sunday morning ABS. It's easy. It's during the first hour. There's child care provided. There are several options for you to get involved in. It's a little bit slower because there's limited time and there's people moving as they try out other classes, which we encourage them to. But it is a pathway into discipleship here at Melanie Park because we're spending time in God's Word. We're praying with and for one another. So that's where you get started. But eventually, we want to move people into the fast lane of discipleship. And at Melanie Park, that's our small groups. I think Brian did a survey recently, and almost 150 people in this little church are involved in a small group somewhere within the life of this body. That's pretty remarkable. And we believe that's really important in the life of our church because in those small groups is where you begin to share life together. You begin to open your heart with one another. You're still spending time in God's Word, but you're just prayerfully considering how does this apply to the situation that we're in in our marriage or in our family or in our job. And we are very uh, intentional about caring for one another. There have been situations where people have lost loved ones, and those small groups have rallied around them like a deeply connected family. That's the way it should work, and that's why they're important. But over time, there may be opportunities to move into the HOV lane. If you've been on a highway, you know you have to have multiple people in your car, right? Well, the HOV lane at Melanie Park Church can have different forms over time. Right now, there's a pilot group in place looking at a ministry called Regeneration. Regeneration is a 12-month discipleship recovery program. And it's intended to help people find hope in the midst of hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And we know that we've said before, this is a hospital for the hurting. So this is a ministry under consideration for how we might best care for the hurting. And so over the next several months, this pilot group will prayerfully discern if this makes sense in the life of our church. But that'd be an example of an HOV lane. Now, if you've been on a highway for very long, you know that there's a real benefit every once in a while just pulling over and parking and taking a rest stop, right? Get out, stretch your legs, take a deep breath. We try to implement that within the life of our church and that discipleship highway here as well. 
And that can look like our men's and women's retreats, right? So women, this Friday is a chance for you to have a rest stop, (laughs) to step out of the craziness of life and step into some fellowship with other women, spend time in God's Word, and just be refreshed. In the spring, men, you'll have the same opportunity. We encourage you to take advantage of that. We have a routine here where we try to alternate each year. One year we do a missions conference. The next year we do something marriage family related, uh, and we'll continue to do that. This next February, Keegan Williamson will be leading us in a marriage conference. So many of you know Keegan is one of our missionaries, and the heart of his ministry right now is going on to the mission field and helping people in ministry learn how to live faithfully in the context of their marriage under all that pressure. Well, I don't know that the principles that he applies to them are all that different to us in just trying to make marriage a priority in the midst of the busyness of life, right? So he's going to come in February and lead our church in a marriage conference. One of the things that we heard from you this year that we've put into consideration and plan to implement after the marriage conference, you told us that you wanted to have some shorter series on specific topics. So, after the marriage conference, Carrie and Sherry Gilbert are going to lead a six to eight week series on marriage that you can take some of those principles from the conference and then flesh them out in the context of that six to eight week study. And through the year, we hope to do other things that might be relevant and important to our lives as a church family. So, all this goes to say, whatever we do here at Melanie Park is going to fit under that umbrella. And our goal is to make sure that There's never a time where something happens in the life of this church and anyone might say, gosh, where did that come from? Never saw that coming. If if that happens, we're not doing our job very well because we want instead the response to be, oh, that makes sense. We've been praying about that. So this is an intent to give you our heart for ministry here at Melanie Park. And it's very simple, but we think God's command is pretty simple to go and make disciples, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so you can be praying for that because anything that happens is going to follow right underneath that umbrella. Make sense? So thank you for your prayers, and uh, let's pray together before we open the Word. Father, thank you so much for the blessing of this church family. What a gift. What a gift it is to me to be a pastor in such an amazingly loving generous, caring church. Thank you for the chance for the people that are here this morning to be engaged in the lives of other men and women, to share life together, to not just show up and then leave out, but actually be a part of each other's lives, to be praying for one another, to know what's happening with real intention and purpose. And so, Father, as we spend time in your word this morning, would you please... um, enlighten our hearts with truths that we need to hear. Uh, Just the right truth at just the right time for where we are in life right now. You do that well, Lord, and we ask together that you do that this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. So if you want to, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3. As you know, we've been looking at uh, the life of Solomon, and he's been on a pretty dark road of deep despair, right? But last week in Brian's passage that he taught us, Solomon gives us a turn signal. (laughs) He gives us a clue that he's about to change direction. 
And I want to look at that with you. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24. Listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24. He says, There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that is a gift from the hand of God. For who can eat, who can have enjoyment without him? Solomon has tried to fill his heart with all kinds of worldly pleasures, and without exception, they have all come up empty. Any satisfaction he experienced from work, from pleasure, from wisdom, was temporary at best. In fact, he describes it as chasing after the wind. Just picture that in your mind, trying to get your hands around something that you just can't seem to grasp. But even in the midst of that, as we see here in this these couple of verses, he begins to realize, but you know what? There, there is an opportunity for enjoyment somewhere in life because when you look beyond the sun, God begins to come into view. And when you have your eyes on God, your perspective begins to change. And we're going to see that this morning. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. He said, there's an appointed time for everything. There's a time or a season for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and to time to give up what is lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What profit is there for the worker who from that in which he toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. As I said, Solomon is changing directions here. He's moving from what is futile to now what is beautiful. And he does so grounded in the belief that life is more than just a random set of arbitrary events. He says that there's an appointed time for everything. Solomon is realizing that when you look beyond the sun, you begin to see the sovereignty of God, a divinely ordained order and purpose to all of life. To the point that there is a time or a season for everything that happens under the sun. Everything that happens within the boundaries of this world. As we know, a season is an appointed time with a a predetermined purpose. Our calendar is filled with seasons. You have spring. You have summer. You have fall. You have winter. Every year, the seasons come. The seasons go. And each of them have a unique characteristic. We know that in the spring, the flowers bloom. In the summer, the sun shines and the grass turns green. In the fall, the trees release their leaves. 
And in the winter, those leaves settle into the ground. They decompose and they become the fertilizer for the flowers in the spring. There's an appointed time, a divine order in all of creation. And Solomon sees that rhythm of life as it applies to all of humanity. And he's describing that in verse 2 when he says, there's a time to give birth and a, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn. And time to dance. Those couplets that are very well known in our world today, there have been songs and things written about this, these, this very passage, but those couplets, Solomon is intended to communicate completion. Birth to death is the whole of human life. Laughing to mourning is the full spectrum of human emotion. We see the very same idea in our traditional wedding vows. When a husband or a bride and a groom at that time profess love for one another, and they do so in these couplets, right? In sickness and in health, for better, for worse, for richer or for poor. The bride and groom are describing a complete love without conditions. So Solomon, in the same way, is talking about the complete control of God's sovereignty. In looking Beyond the sun, he sees that there is something that is influencing everything under the sun. A divinely ordained influence that is filled with purpose. It's not meaningless. It's not vanity. That there's purpose, there's meaning in this. But that purpose can only be experienced within God's design. That's why he says, for God has made everything beautiful Here's the key, in its time. Let's take love, for example. I think we would all agree love is a beautiful thing, right? Love, God is love, came from God. Love is a beautiful thing. And love is intended to flourish within the context of marriage, which, by the way, is God's design. But if you extend love beyond that boundary, you begin to destroy what God has created. Pornography, extramarital affairs, poison a marriage. When your devotion to your career goes above your family, it's a disordered love. So the beauty of God's intent can only be experienced within the boundary of God's design. Don't miss that, okay? Listen carefully. The beauty of God's intent can only be experienced within the boundary of God's design. For God has made everything beautiful in its time. And not only that, Solomon says that God has put eternity into the hearts of all mankind, which means our hearts will not be satisfied with anything this world has to offer. Because you have eternity in your heart, it is telling you in that dissatisfaction that you were created for something more. That's why the pursuit of worldly wisdom, or worldly pleasure, worldly success, leaves you longing for something more. The frustration of those empty pursuits is intended to point you 
to God. To help you see that He is what your heart longs for most. Not money. Not success. Not pleasure. Not power. In the end, God wants the dissatisfaction of those empty pursuits to turn your heart towards Him. Solomon says that no man will understand the work of God from beginning to end. In other words, our soul will ultimately be satisfied by faith alone. Our soul will only be satisfied when we come to a place that we realize that there's something going on that's bigger than us. That we were created for something more than this world has to offer. Something that we cannot grasp on our own. Solomon is looking at life under the sun. And he's realizing that there's something more. A purpose that goes beyond just personal fulfillment and selfish satisfaction. But knowing that purpose depends on knowing God. He is the only one who knows the story from beginning to end. See, the the true meaning of life, that purpose, that value, that worth that we long for is found through faith in Him alone. It's the only place. That is the part that is eternal and truthful that has been placed in all of us to the point that nothing in this world will ever satisfy what our heart longs for because our heart can be satisfied in God alone. Look at how he continues in verse 12. I know that there is nothing better to, for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor, it is the gift of God. Solomon will begin these last two sections in the same way. He uses the same words. He says, I know. Now, we know from Solomon's life that he is not, one that, not someone that knows all the answers because he's made plenty of mistakes, right? But this is one of those things that he can look at and say, hey, I'm confident in this. I may not know everything, but I do know this. He says, there is nothing better than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Now, if you think about where we've been so far, this is a dramatic shift in Solomon's thinking. Because up until now, it's been all about him, right? He said, whatever my heart desires, I did not refuse it. It was all about him, his houses, his gardens, his vineyards. It was him. But now he's saying, there's really nothing better than doing good. Finding joy from being a blessing to someone else. This is where even the mundane can be filled with meaning. Because even better than sitting down and having a good steak and a big old glass of sweet tea, which is awesomeness, right? Even better than that is having the very same meal, sitting at a table, surrounded by people you love. Because the reality is, the only thing better than receiving a blessing is sharing a blessing. The only thing better than receiving a blessing, the only thing better than selfish enjoyment is doing good for the sake of someone else. Knowing that God gives to us in order that we might then give to others. But that is only true. Don't miss this. That is only true. You will only be able to make that a conviction in your heart 
if you see beyond the limits of this world. Because if this world is all there is, that means that you have limited resources within a limited amount of time. So, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. That's the philosophy when you look at life beyond or within the limits of this world. The goal in, the li in life inside this world is to get as much as you can while you can. But an eternal perspective, seeing beyond the limits of this world, changes things. It's not just about enjoying the good life. It's enjoying the blessings of the one who gives life. It's more than just scratching and clawing to get what I want if I can trust in the one who promises to give me what I need. There's a big difference between those two perspectives. See, the key to joy in life is to not make anything in this life your ultimate joy. Did you hear that? It's really important. The key to joy in life is not to make anything in this life your ultimate joy. See, I can find pleasure in my work as long as I don't make success my ultimate joy. I can find enjoyment in the context of my marriage. It was designed by God unless my ultimate joy is when my wife meets all my needs. That's not going to work because we cannot love anyone we're using to satisfy something in our own heart exclusively. Solomon is confident that selfish pleasure is what's vanity of vanities. When he's talking about what is meaningless in life, it's because of the pursuits that he's tried to fill his heart with whatever his heart desired, and it never worked. He says that's what's meaningless. That's what's vanity. And now he's beginning to understand that true joy is only discovered when we look beyond ourselves. When we look to be satisfied in something outside the boundaries of this world. Trusting in God. Enjoying His gifts. Doing good for others. If you want your heart to be full, that's where you need to go. Look how he continues in verse 14. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it. There is nothing to take from it, for God has so worked that men should fear him. That which has been already and that which will be has already been, for God seeks what has passed by. Remember, Solomon up to this point has been frustrated with life within the limits of this world, right? That's life under the sun as he describes it. But when he looks beyond the sun, his perspective begins to change. He gains an eternal perspective where everything God does remains forever. Remember, he was frustrated with his life because he's working hard, but he realized that when he dies, he can't take anything with him. And he's going to leave it to somebody who may not manage it anywhere close to what he intended. But he has no choice. But then he looks at God and he says, oh, but he remains forever. And not only that, his plan is perfect because he says, there is nothing you can add to it. There is nothing you can take from it. It is perfect just the way it is. You don't need to change a thing. And God has done all these things so that we might fear him. Now let's be careful to understand what that means. 
Because God built goodness into his design. God gives us gifts that he wants us to enjoy. So this must not be a fear that's anxious or afraid or wanting something uh, or considering God to be hurtful in any way. Instead, this is not a fear that makes you want to run from God. (laughs) This is the fear that makes you want to run to God. In fact, I think the fear of the Lord is a fear of understanding what life looks like without him. That's what's intended here. The fear of God is to trust in God in humble adoration for his goodness. Solomon is saying the goal of God is to bring us into a worship-filled relationship with him. Knowing that God is the only one who can bring meaning and purpose to everyday life. He alone sees the beginning from the end. And we can find security. There is hope. There is peace. There is comfort in his sovereign control. He uses all things to bring about his divinely ordained purpose in our lives. Let me say it again. He makes all things beautiful in his time. Let me give you the best example I know of to show where that's true. Turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And pay close attention to the words that Paul uses as he describes the work of God in the world, life under the sun. Turn to chapter 5 of Romans and let's read together verse 6. Romans chapter 5 verse 6. For while we were still helpless, here's the key, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus Christ came at just the right time. It was a part of God's perfect plan. That one that you can add nothing to it. You can take nothing from it. It was perfect. It was set in place from before the world began. God wasn't waiting on us to do the right thing for Him to do the right thing. God knew just the right time. We know that's true because of what he says next in verse 7. He says, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, if you could get to God on your own, you wouldn't need Jesus. Jesus didn't come to die for the righteous. He didn't come to die for someone who's living a good life. He came to die for sinners. People like you and me, eternally separated from a life-giving relationship with God, distracted by selfish desires, living in the futility of a sin-cursed world. Those like Solomon, who are trying to find life apart from God and always coming up empty. Seeking to be satisfied in worldly wisdom and worldly wealth and in worldly pleasure. All of which which keep you longing for something more. And listen, that longing is a gift. That's one of God's good gifts. Because that longing points us to the only place where our hearts can ultimately be satisfied. 
It is a longing for something more because you have eternity placed in your heart. And that eternity tells you that nothing in this world will ever satisfy what your heart longs for most. You were created for something more. You were created to live eternally in a life-giving relationship with God through faith in Christ alone. You were made to flourish in that relationship. In, in Christ, you have been rescued from meaningless futility, and your life has been filled with purpose and meaning. Where life only makes sense when you look beyond the sun and trust in the sovereignty of God, the one and only one who makes all things beautiful in his time. This is the story of God's redemption. And it is a story written with each and every one of you in mind. In fact, I have this theory. This is not in Scripture. This is in my head, so keep it that way. But I just wonder if we get to heaven, if we might not have a movie night. Hey, let me explain what I mean by that. And I want you to picture it this way. I want you to think of your life as a single frame in an epic movie. Now, in and of itself, if you were to take a single frame from a movie you've never seen, there is no possible way you could make sense of that movie from that one frame. It'd be impossible. But I think in heaven, what's going to happen is he's going to take those individual frames of each person's life and he's going to string them together. And then we're all going to sit down and we're going to watch the story of God's redemption unfold. And how he worked miraculously in each of those individual lives, fulfilling every single one of those purposes. And we're going to be in awe of the sovereign God who is eternally in control and is the father of all good things bestowed upon us. Even to the point of taking hard things and making them right at just the right time. Because that's what he does. He makes all things beautiful in his time. And we're going to get to see that together, and that's going to be a great day. But until that day, we live within the limits of this world, knowing ultimately that we were created for something more. We see the gifts of God in our everyday lives, and we should enjoy those gifts. Those are blessings from God, but we should not make any one of those gifts our ultimate joy. We should see beyond the limits of this world. You were created to live eternally in a life-giving relationship with God. So if you are longing in your heart for something more, that's where you need to begin. If you are longing in your heart for something more, then I need you to understand clearly Jesus is the more you're looking for. That's the only soul-satisfying answer that will ever satisfy your heart. Jesus is the more that you're looking for. But even as a Christian, which I understand is most of us in this room, even as a Christian, we lose sight of this truth. We get caught up in the busyness of life, and we can become overwhelmed with what, happening, what happens from, from day to day, and we lose sight of the sovereign God, don't we? It becomes distant. It's a, a thought that we don't yet consider because we're so busy trying to manage our own little world, we forget that God is ultimately in control. God has written you into a story of hope 
That's why Jeremiah tells us that, that God says, I know my plans for you. Plans to, to prosper, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope, to give you a future. And that plan, as Solomon teaches us, is perfect. There's nothing you can add to it. There's nothing that you can take from it. Using all things to accomplish his divinely ordained purpose in our everyday lives. He makes all things beautiful in his time. Looking beyond the sun, you see the sovereignty of God. And this is really important, especially when we're experiencing times of tragedy or hurt or despair because it's easy to become overwhelmed by those things. You can have hope, though, that one day all that is wrong will be made right. And I want you to understand very clearly that there is only one who possesses the power to take what is dead and bring it back to life. There is only one who promises that one day there will be no more mourning. There will be no more pain. But instead, everything that is wrong will be made right. And we, for all eternity, are allowed to experience in great wonder the beauty of our great God who has sovereignly been in control since the world began using all things to carry out a divinely ordained purpose, a purpose filled with, with meaning and value and worth. And when he created that, he had you in mind. And he wants you to know everything, all that goodness built within his design. So let me encourage you as we finish up this morning to look beyond the sun. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but I would assume that for many of us, we're consumed with school. We're consumed with family. We're consumed with questions that we can't find answers to. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get in a spiral where those just eat me alive. And I need to step away every once in a while and look beyond my circumstances and see a sovereign God who is filled with goodness, and is ultimately in control. And he will make all things beautiful in his time. So just for a moment this morning, let me encourage you to step away from your circumstances and set your heart on him. There is something that you're longing for that is not being answered. He is the one in whom you will find that answer. Trust in him. Let your life be filled with worship. I think it's true that they will know we are Christians by our love for one another. Absolutely true. But there's another aspect of that too, that they will know that we are Christians because of our love for one another and our life that is filled with worship. Because we look to the God who is ultimately in control, even in the midst of terribly hard things, because we know that he will do the right thing in the end. Amen? So let's stand together and sing as we finish up this morning. Let me encourage you to take these words of this song and let it begin your week with a heart of worship. And let me encourage you to take that heart of worship into your week, focusing your heart and mind on a sovereign, sovereign God.
looking at the life of Job. Sign from heaven. (laughs) We were looking at the life of Job, and you know that he went through some pretty awful things, right? Had a lot of questions until he encountered God. And then do you know what he said? I have no more questions. Seeing you is enough to satisfy my soul. I pray that what we just did this morning, singing and worship together, becomes reflective of how you live your everyday life and that you keep your hearts and your minds focused on the Lord even in the midst of our daily lives. He cares for you. He loves you. And he does all things beautiful in just the right time. So let me pray for us and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for this Family, this is one of those beautiful things, the people in this room, the relationships, the love that is shared between us. It's a beautiful thing. And we can say, I think, to a person in this room that it has been right at just the right time so many times in our life. So, Father, I just pray that even in the midst of our daily lives, in the midst of things that bring us great joy, in the midst of things that bring hurt and sadness and pain, that we look to you as our sovereign God, always in control, making everything beautiful in its time. Help us to trust in you, to know that we belong to you, that we are safe and secure, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you are present with us. We love you, Jesus. And thank you for making it so obvious that you so deeply love us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.